0: See that makes me think, uh, think of Friends when uh, Ross has his pet. It's a chimp, right? Um, Chimpan. No, it's not a chimpanzee. It's a. It's a monkey.
1: I've seen like very few episodes of Friends. <laughs> I don't really watch it.
0: Yeah, Ross has a pet monkey.
1: Its humor has not aged well.
0: But uh, I, I, I can't imagine having a, a pet monkey like that. I feel like they'd just be, they'd be getting in shit all the time. I mean, they're cute. Sometimes they're cute, but yeah. You know, one of these um these comments it says. I don't trust people that have pet monkeys. I feel like they will jerk off in my wife's dirty laundry when I when left unattended.
1: That is so specific.
0: <laughs> Another one. I had a friend with one of those for a pet. If you got near his cage, he would grab you and try to rape you with his little elephant trunk-looking penis. It was Ew, traumatizing.
1: What the fuck?
0: <laughs> so I just feel like they're... Uh, sexually promiscuous 13 year old boy in a monkey's body just oh, trying like
1: to <laughs> tiny Danny DeVito's <laughs>
0: trying to fuck everything in sight
1: yeah
0: um <laughs> but I don't know they're they're cute but I don't think they would make a good pet
1: that ain't worth it man you gotta put a little diaper on them so they're not pooping everywhere exactly yeah always change wearing their a diaper it's like having a child with a tail that can climb things <laughs>
0: Welcome to the 39th episode of Beer and Fear. My name is Zach.
1: My name is Paige.
0: And this week we're gonna talk about Jim Jones. Jim Jones. You may have heard of him. He's uh he's dead. Um, and he well, you just spoiled it. He uh, and he made a town called Jonestown, which we're also gonna talk about. I've heard we're <laughs> we talking about other podcasts, I've heard other podcasts uh, talk about this. It's really entertaining and during my research I found out a lot of stuff that went on like behind the scenes that I didn't even know about. Mm-hmm. Um, like if, if you're familiar with Jonestown, you know the, the popular, you know, how everything went down. Hold that's, your horses here, buddy. pretty bud. famous.
1: Hold your horses.
0: Do you know about Jonestown?
1: I do know okay. about Jonestown. I'm not going to say anything. But I'm just saying we have to go into our weeds. Sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But my point is like, like there was a lot of other shit that went down. Um, that I didn't know about. And I don't know anything about Jim Jones, so I'm looking forward to hearing uh, your your part. But, yeah, our weeks. Um, why don't you start? Work. <laughs> it worked. Has work gotten any better? Boring. Boring and slow? You said it was slow today.
1: Boring and slow. Well, it's not boring. I see a lot of cute dogs. It's just there's a lot of downtime and there's a lot of lulls in the activity between people mm-hmm. um, like to interact with. Mm-hmm. Today, it was just like nobody wanted to talk. I think like the weather and the construction and the building just kind of made it like meh.
0: Yeah. Um, the weather was super depressing today.
1: I like rainy weather.
0: I do every now and then, yeah. I um, really want to wake
1: up to thunder. Mm-hmm. I don't think we get enough thunderstorms in Illinois.
0: It's uh it's really easy to fall asleep to rain Love it. rainstorms. Yep. Uh I went to I went to my mom's and picked out the last few things that were mine that I needed to take with me. Mm-hmm. So, as of now there's nothing in that house that's mine. Uh she let me take home some sake glasses. Really oh, cool. Sake Sock- they're like green sake glasses. Um I got that sign. See that?
1: Oh yeah, you Put finally took up. it.
0: Yep. So that's cool. Put that up on my bar. Super aesthetic. Drove to Chicago today.
1: Yeah, you were going to say.
0: To pick up uh, the bonus beer. After this episode, we're going to record a bonus episode. Um, bonus beer episode. We haven't done one of those in a while. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to try that. It kind of ties in with our topic today. But I went to the actual brewery to get it.
1: Oh, cool. So
0: that's why I was I was in Chicago. Mint Plant.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Mint Plant's uh, kicking. Instagram. We got pictures. My life is so
1: I didn't want to say anything. <laughs>
0: I don't I don't have anything going on besides uh besides working.
1: That's just the adult lifestyle. I need a hobby.
0: Oh, I've been playing drums a lot.
1: Yeah, there you go. That's nice. That's something.
0: Yep. Relieves a lot of stress. That's fun.
1: Yes, must clean the tail.
0: But then I, I um I was playing last night. She hopped on my lap and it's really hard to play drums with a cat on your lap. <laughs> And then she started say. she started climbing on some of the drum pads, so I had to like not play those drum pads. I was still like there was still music playing in my ears with the cat on half of my kit, and then she started trying to eat my drumsticks. Like she's rubbing her face up against the drumsticks and you know biting down on them, teething on them almost. So now I'm I got one hand and I'm hitting maybe three things, um, and and laughing at Kasota. So.
1: She's just the most silly cat ever, and I yep. love her.
0: I'll add more pics on Instagram. That's something to look forward to, I
1: guess. I should show you the picture of the lizard I'm adopting. Oh, yeah. Because of Wonton.
0: Yeah. That, you're adopting a <laughs> lizard. That's a cool thing.
1: Um, he looks... It's a male. looks ridiculously close to him. Mm. Like, they look very similar.
0: Mm-hmm. His head looks bumpy.
1: They have bumpy skin.
0: No, like, he, uh, he's got, like, a little... Are those his ears,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like the
1: talking smack about my new lizard.
0: <laughs> well, it's just, uh, the only difference I could pick up between him and the other one that you had. His his head's more bumpy. He's
1: a baby. He's cute. He's only a year old.
0: Well, as soon as you get him.
1: But yeah, look how similar he looks. He's got the same color pattern.
0: Yeah, as soon as you get him, put uh, put photos up on on the on the gram.
1: I'm getting him on Monday, so I will.
0: Wonderful. The beer. That we're going to try... Oh, before we get into it, I'm glad I put a little note here. We didn't do this last week, so I'm going to talk about it this week. This is um, from Mm IllinoisBeer.org, Illinois Craft Brewers Guild. Brewers Uh, Guild. This is the Beer Act, SB 532. And this page says, ask your local lawmakers to support Illinois' craft breweries.
1: I feel like we talked about this.
0: We did not. We meant to talk about it on the show um but we didn't uh last week but we didn't maybe
1: you brought it up to me i did okay. yeah
0: and i was like we're gonna we should talk about this but we never did so gotcha the um the brewer's economic i'm just going to read from the website brewer's economic equity and relief beer b-e-r act of 2021 updates prohibition era alcohol regulations giving illinois brewers a much needed lifeline as they navigate the COVID 19 pandemic mm-hmm. Special interest groups with deep pockets are actively opposing the common sense measures and are trying to convince lawmakers to keep things status quo, but the status quo is hurting our brewers. That's why we need your help. You can make a difference by reaching out to your local representatives by mail, phone, email, or social media and asking them asking them to support the Beer Act.
1: So what exactly are they asking for?
0: So the Beer Act, if you if you reach out to them, say, we want to help uh, local breweries, um have a little more leeway when it comes to distribution and, and things. the things I'm going to go into.
1: Okay. I was going to ask if you looked into it at all because I'm just kind of like, what yeah, are-
0: it, it talks about it oh, here. Oh, perfect. Okay. I, we did post something on Twitter. Maybe that's what you're we thinking of. I, I did retweet um, something. I forget which brewery. I don't know if it was Miskatonic or one of the breweries that we followed and had on the show before. They posted something about the Beer Act and that's how we found out about it. Mm. So we retweeted it. So the Beer Act offers a lifeline to Illinois brewers by helping them reach customers and offset devastating economic losses stemming from the COVID-19 pandemic. Highlights of the legislation include permanent consumer delivery, Mm -hmm. direct-to-consumer shipping, Mm -hmm. so they would join wineries and other retailers in being allowed to ship products direct-to-consumers, Limited self-distribution, so that would allow 150 brew pubs in the state the right to move up to 200 barrels of their product to local retailers on their own, mm-hmm. something distrib- distributors are not interested in doing. Okay. Um, and among many other uh, advantages. Okay. So, right, yeah, right now, as it exists in law, there are some restrictions and restraints put on local breweries as far as their distribution, getting their product out to people, and the pandemic has made that a lot more difficult. Okay. So they're asking for some...
1: Some movement. changes. I get you
0: in the legislation. So okay. Again, re- you can reach out to your local representatives by mail, phone, email, or social media. Ask them to support the Beer Act SB five three two and HB three four nine five. If you go to illinoisbeer.org slash beer act um, or illinoisbeer.org, you can find all about the Beer Act. And then there's a little button that makes it super easy. It says contact your legislator. They make they outline everything for you. Super easy to do, but um, definitely we we feel for the struggles that uh, breweries and really any businesses have been facing in the pandemic. I know things are getting you know better and better every day, but this is still a very important thing for uh, breweries and um, and and you know small companies local companies <laughs> family companies etc so we're in full support of it the beer is called yeah. I originally picked our bonus beer as as this beer's Why are we not
1: doing that? Because you found a better beer? Because I
0: found a better beer. Okay, go ahead. So this one's called Brunch Punch Fruit Punch.
1: Brunch Punch Fruit Punch.
0: Brunch Punch Fruit Punch.
1: You little stinker. Yep.
0: I love that. By Maplewood Brewery and Distillery.
1: Also, this is our second brunch-themed beer.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think it'll have more... uh, more likeness to fruit punch than I it would I hope so cuz that sounds things. very
1: tropical it'll taste like. more
0: like, you know, apples and you know fruit punch things I than like eggs tropical. eggs and bacon would so well,
1: i mean it was like it was your brain on brunch, your brain on brunch and, your and it was like coffee flavored
0: and pancakes yeah yeah so uh, maplewood brewery and distillery is at 2717 North Maplewood Avenue in Chicago mm-hmm. their tagline is be fluid Finely crafted beer and spirits since 2014 Maplewood opened with the mission to push liquid boundaries in an unassuming building nestled in Chicago's historic Logan Square neighborhood. The first of its kind to establish brewing and distilling roots under a single roof, Maplewood has been producing finely crafted beer and spirits out of their 10-barrel brew house and 250-liter coth hybrid Still, mm-hmm. since 2014. Don't ask me what that means. I have I no won't. idea. I don't know either. Three years after moving into their production facility, Maplewood opened the Lounge, a neighborhood bar doubling as a taproom and cocktail parlor. Beginning with distribution throughout Illinois, Maplewood has since expanded their footprint to Missouri, Michigan, Indiana, Wisconsin, and Kansas. Maplewood's fans have come to expect expertly craft beer and spirits in a wide range of styles. That's straight from their website. You can follow Maplewood... On the socials. They're at Maplewood Brew on Facebook and Instagram and at Maplewood Beer on Twitter. I like the name. Mm-hmm. This refreshing sour beer mm-hmm. melds together. A uh, sour? Melds together a variety of fruits with a hint of lactose, creating a smooth, easy drinker. What are the fruits? Well, I think we'll get into them. Okay. Uh, the fruit blend tends to change with the season, so expect fruit punch, brambleberry, or whatever else we might find growing in the orchard. There's an orchard? I guess. So I wanted to show you too the, the beer page on their website. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: they separate their brew. Uh, it's it's sectioned by year round, seasonal, series, and limited. Okay. This one falls within the series section, so it's part of a series of brunch punch ales. Others including Brambleberry and Tangerine Pink Guava. So there's brunch punch, Brambleberry, brunch punch, Tangerine Pink Guava. This one is fruit punch, and I like the way their beers look. Their cans here. They're all Ooh. like this metallic sort of, they got a I don't want to see the a,
1: brunch punch and fruit punch And a gleam
0: to them. I love the way that they stylize their website. I think the art's very, very nice. modern. You know, these metallic colors. It's cool. That one's got a pug on it. I'll Aww. talk about that one. That's called uh, Fat Pug. It's an oatmeal milk stout. This one's year-round. <laughs> and it's funny. Uh, they have one of their series beers. That one's the year-round one. They have mm-hmm. a series beer called Morbidly Obese Pug wow and it's a 10 percent imperial chocolate stout so damn they took they took fat pug 5.9 percent abv oatmeal milk stout and then they have morbidly obese pug which is they doubled the abv about
1: the average for pugs to be honest it's they're, chocolate all,
0: stout. they're all they're all morbid i thought obese. that was funny they got a lot of cool be- uh, cool beers funny names the sound tiger mountain silver morning fizzle drizzle
1: Ooh, fizzle drizzle i like
0: So this one is a wild ale, which we just had
1: Mm -hmm.
0: last week. Um, This one, I thought this had the... It does on the can. It has the fruits on the can. So we just had a wild ale. We've talked about them before. I'll be talking about the difference between sour and wild ales. Because they seem pretty synonymous. From hopculture.com. This is direct quotes. Although those words can at times accurately describe the same beer, they have different meanings, and using them synonymously can prove frustrating for craft brewers struggling to label and describe their offerings with accuracy. Wild beer, or more specifically wild ales, as they were called at their inception in Belgium and Germany, are beers brewed with the assistance of something beyond the traditional survey, say, which we've talked about before. Uh, better known as brewer's yeast, so they add more things beyond traditional brewer's yeast. That something can refer to wild yeast ambient in the environment, such as Bretonomyces, Bretonomyces a yeast variety commonly found on fruit skins. Mm. It can also refer to bacteria that lend distinctive flavor to the brew, such as pedococcus and Lactobacillus,
1: Pediococcus, Pideo-
0: I, I don't know. So, why do bacteria names got to be so... Because
1: they're Latin. I think.
0: These organisms can be added manually or naturally through the air. Sour flavors in beer usually come from lactic acid, the typical byproduct of the two bacteria that I just mentioned. Lactic acid lowers the pH of a beer and, depending on the amount present, can impart anything from a subtle tartness to a puckering sour punch. Many wild beers taste sour due to the presence of these bacteria and Brettanomyces, bretonomi- which can create or enhance sour flavors. However, while some brewers label certain beers as sours... Others argue against using the word to denote style. Uh, Wild and sours are often confused because they're used interchangeably, says James Priest, founder of the Referend Beer Blendry. But one describes a dominant flavor, while the other describes a process, a method. For Priest, that method involves cooling the wort in a cool ship, a bathtub-like vessel that allows the outside air and anything that might be floating around inside of it to permeate the brew, inoculating it with a host of natural wild specimens. The referend relies fully on ambient yeast and bacteria for fermenting all of its beers. No saccharomyces in sight. So I guess they are kind of synonymous depending on who you ask. They can mean the same thing, but there are beer people out there that say they're expressly distinct. One refers to a process, the other refers to um a flavor. One refers to a process, one refers to a flavor. So they're a little different. Sour beers and wild ales. Brunch punch fruit punch is four percent ABV. Unknown IBU or SRM. We have a score for this one. Oh we do. Beer Advocate gave it a 90. Okay. Outstanding. It has two reviews and I'm ten excited. ratings. I think in order to have a score on Beer Advocate, it needs at least 10 ratings by people, um, which is why so many of the beers we've tried haven't had a score because they haven't been rated as much. Gotcha. So the average rating that this one has is 4.07, which is pretty good. It's ranked 983 in Wild Ales and 52,034 overall, which is weird. It's got a score in 90, but this is the lowest ranked beer that I think we've had, 52,000. So, I don't know. It doesn't make much sense to me. We have a review, which I guess we'll read after. And it's by Guy Fox. I think we've uh, talked we about him before. Him, yeah. Yeah, but I'll grab the beer. Again, love the can. Love the art. It's like a metallic pink cloud thing. It's got a flamingo on it, and it's green. Green and pink. This says, ale brewed with... Uh-oh.
1: Why uh-oh. Strawberries.
0: It's brewed it's with strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how allergic are you to strawberries? I can't
1: have strawberries.
0: Okay, what if they're in a drink?
1: I can't have strawberries. <laughs>
0: Paige, Paige, you had a... Uh... Didn't you have uh, when we were... At they were your,
1: artificial. At your pool? Yes, and I got sick.
0: Can you sip it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not trying to kill you.
1: Oh, ah, no. ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I'm not trying to kill you, per se. I just want you to get a little rash. Get a little nauseous. Maybe pass out. Um. No, I, I can probably drink it. I just won't like it. I can tell you right now. Don't...
0: don't yeah, it's just, fine. Don't drink a lot of it. It's
1: fine. <laughs> I'll just die. I mean,
0: okay. Well, and, well, Before you open that, it didn't say uh, on the website what it was brewed with. Uh, it just said fruit punch. Now, on the can, when I bought it, I did notice, oh, it says ale brewed with blah, blah, blah. But I didn't look at the specific things it was brewed with. Um, it says strawberries, pineapples, cherries, passion fruit, tangerine, and lactose. I i i have i have high hopes <laughs> uh this is this is comical <laughs> uh it's a good thing it's a good thing that um most beers don't have fruit in them
1: it smells very strawberry
0: it smells like fruit punch.
1: Looks like strawberry too. Wow, it's foamy. I'm
0: trying to kill my best friend.
1: You are trying to kill me. Also, oh, look at that foam. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, this is the uh, this the craziest is... color that we've ever had in a beer.
1: Very pink. Before.
0: It looks like grapefruit. It does. Color of grapefruit.
1: Yeah. Oh, a little bit darker though.
0: Yeah, and the foam is um, the foam is just what as pink gonna... too
1: the foam really lingers i i fucked my pour up and i I poured like (laughs) just pure foam but like it lingers
0: the smell is very present very bubbly very pleasant i should say i love it um it smells like fruit punch like fermented fruit punch like a little bit of the like we talked about last week the booch sort of tartness tanginess uh, tanginess vinegaryness but it also it's a very strong smell of fruit
1: it looks like a very dark pink lemonade so like if it was raspberry mm-hmm. lemonade right it's just very dark even the foam is pink
0: mm-hmm. it's a medley of fruits mm-hmm. i dig it and uh i really i am concerned for your welfare you okay should be. i did not do this maliciously i'm
1: sure <laughs> it seems like you're just trying to make it zach's podcast <laughs> it seems like an interesting way to get rid of somebody <laughs> but okay
0: this week i picked a beer that you can't have it's all mine (laughs) fuck you
1: i won't go into like anaphylactic shock or anything it's Mm -hmm. not like a strong reaction like that it's just like i could get a rash i could get nauseous i could get a fever all right i don't want to die remember my corpse Ooh. oh
0: my goodness no words
1: (laughs) i have a few Dirty dishwater. <laughs> no. Dirty dishwater <laughs> no. with soap.
0: Mm-mm.
1: That is what it tastes like to me. Nope. Disappointing.
0: I disagree. This is
1: Disappointing.
0: This might be my number one.
1: Nope. Does not have enough flavor for me. I honestly I would take strawberries over that.
0: You're uh, out the gate, you're just very you're shitting on this beer. Um
1: I don't like strawberries, man. I hate them. You put them in anything, and I despise them. Like, I gag. Hmm.
0: Strawberries are so good, though. It's disappointing. Um, but, I yeah, I taste cherry.
1: I do taste the cherry. Mm-hmm. I won't disagree with that. Like, I feel like I could taste, like, majority of the fruits that are listed, mm-hmm. but just the strawberry taste is just too much for me. Like, I just... Bleh. Uh,
0: pineapples, passion fruit, tangerine, lactose... I am immediately blown away by this beer. Um, I, I think I think the flavor is spot on. Um, I don't think it's too much fruit.
1: I'm just kind of meh.
0: I think it's I think it's just enough fruit to where it it doesn't taste exactly like last week's, where it's just like this holy fuck in your face, you know, kicking your ass. This is very smooth. Um, it's very carbonated, but smooth and easy to drink, in my opinion. Um, and the, all the flavors are just perfectly balanced together.
1: I got uncomfortable chills.
0: <laughs> mm. I'm not getting the the. the it's not like it's water.
1: It's disgusting. It's just kind of like bland to me.
0: I don't. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't
1: really taste a tartness. I don't really taste like the. It's sour. It's just kind of like meh. Like I get the flavor profile. I get the fruits. But I just don't think Mm -hmm. that the fruits are strong enough for me. Hmm. Okay.
0: Agree to disagree.
1: I mean, you like every beer.
0: Well, I like this one uh, particularly. It it reminds me more of Electric Jewel. Um,
1: I thought Electric Jewel was sweeter and much stronger.
0: I disagree. But uh, I mean, I feel like that one was more tart and more fermenty tasting. But I think the flavors of the fruits kind of... Take that away, or bring that down a notch with this beer, and to me that for me that makes this a little more drinkable, a little more enjoyable. But my earrings are bothering me because I like I like the amount of fruit that they put in here. It yeah. almost doesn't taste like beer to me; mm. it just tastes like a fizzy sour fruit drink.
1: You know what? It makes me think of those drinks that you always got from like Panda.
0: Oh yeah, like the yeah the bottled carbonated fruit
1: drinks. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, forget the names of them. You know what?
1: I have a picture of you drinking one.
0: Oh, yeah, that's what you do. (laughs) The first unsolicited picture of me you've ever taken.
1: It's true. (laughs) Ah, man, it's facing the wrong way. But look how cute you are.
0: Yeah, I look look pretty good in that photo. Minus the ears, but...
1: (laughs) I take good pictures of you.
0: (laughs) So this is a review from Guy Fawkes on Beer Advocate. Mm -hmm. Canned... 4-30-20, 4 20 April 30th, 2020, drank May 16th, 2020 at the Yarchives. I don't know where that is. Probably a bar or a pub. Opaque fruit punch appearance. and even pour yielded a nice pink white head. Nice lace. Fruit punch and mild tart lemon notes in the nose. Medium mouthfeel. Fruit punch and mild tart lemon flavors. A mild carbonation bite on the finish. Pleasant, if not earth-shaking. Ooh. By Guy Fawkes.
1: Thanks, Guy Fox.
0: Um, you know what? This also reminds me of a um, a cosmopolitan. Oh, okay. Remember, I made one for you. Yeah, uh, but
1: I thought the cosmopolitan.
0: Cosmopolitan.
1: Cosmopolitan was stronger. Sure.
0: Yeah. In flavor, uh, at least. Yeah, that one definitely more cranberry forward, but also kind of sweet and tart at the same time. It it just to me this tastes like a Cosmo, but with beer instead of vodka.
1: Hmm.
0: And a few other fruits in there. The burp is really nice. It's a tropical. I get pineapple in the burp. I, I feel really bad. <laughs> I should have paid a, a little more attention.
1: I mean, when do you expect it to have strawberries yeah, on it?
0: Strawberries. And I beer. don't really blame you. But I mean, that. a fruit punch beer. It's like one of those fruits you, you usually would think, fruit punch. Beer. You would think usually fruit strawberry. punch has strawberries. Now, can you drink know. fruit punch?
1: I don't like fruit punch. Mm. And
0: then it just it was never gonna gonna work out in the first mm. place. A fruit punch beer. It's it wasn't gonna be your. Uh, was can gonna be a good
1: one for you. Yeah, I've never liked it. I thought I always thought like the fruit punch that you can get like with like the little surfer dude on it.
0: Yeah, like high C. Yeah, like high C fruit punch. I always thought it was too sweet. Yeah, that's a little, maybe a little too much. But like homemade fruit punch,
1: not my thing. Good. I'm know. more of like a a citrusy kind of person. So mm. like I always went for like lava burst, like high C or like gotcha. orange juice, lemonades. Okay. Like I've never been one for like berry beverages.
0: You see that? Um I don't know. The uh I'm impressed. I like this beer a lot. Um I would buy more of it. I think I would get a I would get a second one if I got this at a at a bar.
1: Yeah.
0: And it, it is very summery. It, it, it just cuz it's tropical, it's got fruit I won't disagree with stuff, that. It's very light. It's crisp, refreshing.
1: Jim Jones.
0: Tell me all Jimothy
1: about Jones. Jimothy
0: Jones. Jimothy Jones. Who is
1: he? Jimothy James Warren Jones. His name's James Warren Jones. He was born May thirteenth. That's the same birthday as my little sister, May thirteenth. He was a Taurus. Oh wow. Jim Jones. Yeah, he's a he's a Taurus. That explains a lot.
0: No, explains a lot. <laughs>
1: 1931 in a rural area of Crete, Indiana, to James Thurman Jones, a World War I veteran, and Lynetta Putnam. Jones was of Irish and Welsh descent, and he later claimed partial Cherokee ancestry through his mother. But his maternal second cousin said this was untrue. In 1934, the economic difficulties during the Great Depression forced the family to move to the nearby town of Lynn, where uh, Jones grew up in a shack without plumbing. Oh. Uh, Jones was a voracious... Reader, who studied Joseph Stalin, Karl Marx, Mao Zedong, Mahatma Gandhi, and Adolf Hitler, which, again, can't man. Who let this kid have these books? He also developed an intense interest in religion. One writer suggests this was primarily because he found it difficult to make friends, as most crazy people find it. Hmm. Childhood acquaintances recalled Jones as a really weird kid. That was in quotes. Quotes, a really weird kid who was obsessed with religion and death alleging that he frequently held funerals for small animals on his parents' property oh. and that he had stabbed a cat to death.
0: Oh my god. That's the
1: sign of a serial
0: killer. Okay, water. I wasn't ready for that.
1: One childhood acquaintance noted that after German prisoners of war arrived in Lynn during World War II, one patted young Jones on the back of the head to which he responded by giving the Nazi salute and shouting "Heil Hitler." Okay. He's got some issues. Who
0: where are his parents?
1: Not around. (laughs) Jones and a childhood friend both claimed his father was associated with the Ku Klux Klan, which had become very popular in Depression-era Indiana. Jones recounted how he and his father argued on the issue of race and how he did not speak with his father for many, many years after he refused to allow one of Jones's black friends into his house. Jones' parents separated, and Jones relocated with his mother to Richmond, Indiana. Mm. In December 1948, he graduated from Richmond High School early with honors. Oh, okay. To support himself, Jones worked as an orderly at Richmond's Reed Hospital and was well uh, well regarded by the senior management. However, staff members later recalled Jones exhibiting disturbing behavior. One former co-worker of Jones, with whom he had been childhood friends, recalled an incident where Jones manhandled a patient in traction while dry shaving him. Oh. It's like a... Traction is like a set of mechanisms for straightening broken bones. Just
0: explain that. Got it.
1: Uh, resulting in the patient's injury with a straight razor and then gave a menacing look at the coworker. Mm. It was at Reed hospital where Jones met nurse Marceline Baldwin, whom he married in 1949. Jones and his wife relocated to Bloomington, Indiana, where he attended Indiana university there. He was impressed with a speech of Eleanor by Eleanor Roosevelt about the plight of African-Americans in 1951. The couple relocated to Indianapolis. Jones attended Indiana university for two years and then took night classes at Butler University, earning a degree in secondary education in 1961, Hmm. 10 years after enrolling. Okay. In 1951, 20-year-old Jones began attending gatherings of the Communist Party USA in Indianapolis. He became flustered with harassment during the McCarthy hearings, particularly regarding an event that he attended with his mother focusing on Paul Robeson, after which she was harassed by FBI agents in front of her coworkers for attending. Jones also became frustrated with the persecution of open and accused communists in the U.S., especially during the trials of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Jones said he asked himself, how can I demonstrate my Marxism? The thought was infiltrate the church.
0: Of course. That's how everyone
1: does it. How do I get Karl Marx into religion? Jones was surprised when a Methodist district superintendent helped him get a start in the church, even though he knew Jones to be a communist. In 1952, he became a student pastor at the Somerset Southside Methodist Church, say that five times fast, but later claimed that he had left the church because its leaders forbade him from integrating blacks into congregation.
0: Mm -hmm. It was that time.
1: Around this time, Jones witnessed a faith healing service at a Seventh Day Baptist church. He observed that it attracted people and their money and concluded that he could accomplish his social goals with financial resources from such services. Jornes organized a mammoth religious uh, convention to take place June 11th to the 15th in 1956 in Indianapolis. Needing a well-known religious figure to draw crowds, he arranged to share the pulpit with Reverend William M. Branham, a healing evangelist and religious author who was highly uh, revered Hmm. as Oral Roberts. Never heard of him. um, uh, American Christian television, televangelist. I was frigging televangelist. And what can you do with them? Uh, Jones was able to begin his own church after the convention, which had various names until it became the People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel, mm-hmm. later shortened to the People's Temple. He was ordained as a minister in 1957 by the Independent Assemblies of God and in 1964 by the Disciples of Christ. Did I tell you I'm an ordained pastor?
0: Uh, you did. Yeah, I remember that. That's uh, that's cool.
1: I can marry people if I you want to. You can marry I people. I have that power. <laughs> you you're married married right now it's a stranger outside
0: everyone listening you're married married congratulations
1: jones was known to regularly study adolf hitler and father divine yeah. um he was an african-american spiritual leader if anyone wanted to know
0: yeah i was actually it's funny i was just pulling him up on wikipedia um he uh many considered him to be a cult leader.
1: Hmm. Uh, He he studied them to learn how to manipulate members of the people's temple. Mm -hmm. Uh, Divine told Jones personally to find an enemy and to make sure they know who the enemy is, as it will unify those in the group and make them subservient to him. Uh, In 1960, Indianapolis Mayor Charles Boswell uh, appointed Jones director of the Local Human Rights Commission. Jones ignored Boswell's advice to keep a low profile, however, finding new outlets for his views on local radio and television programs. The mayor and other commissioners asked him to curtail his public actions, but he resisted. Jones was widely cheered at a meeting of the NAACP and Urban League when he yelled for his audience to be more militant and then climaxed with, Let my people go. (laughs) Also, who says climaxed with? Like, really? <clears throat> During this time, Jones also helped to racially integrate churches, restaurants, the telephone company, the Indianapolis Police Department, a theater and amusement park, and the Indiana University Health Methodist Hospital. Uh, swastikas were painted on the homes of two African-American families, Jesus. and Jones walked through the neighborhood com- uh, comforting the local black community and counseling white families not to move. He also set up sting operations to cast uh, to catch restaurants refusing to serve African American customers, and wrote to Af- uh, to American Nazi Party leaders, passing their responses to the media. Jones was accidentally placed in the black ward of a hospital after a collapse in 1961, but refused to be moved. He began to make the beds and empty the bedpans of black patients. Political pressures resulting from Jones' actions called uh, caused hospital officials uh, officials to desegregate the wards. Hmm. Jones received considerable criticism in Indiana for his integrationist views. Likewise, white-owned businesses and locals were critical of him. Mm -hmm. Among other incidents, a swastika was placed on the temple, a stick of dynamite was left in a temple coal pile, and a dead cat was thrown at Jones' house after a threatening phone call. What's with the cat murder? Um, Jones and his wife adopted several non-white children, referring to the household as his rainbow family and stating, integration is a more personal thing with me now. It's a question of my son's future. He also portrayed the temple as a rainbow family. Hmm. In 1954, the Joneses adopted Agnes, who was part Native American. In 1959, they adopted three Korean-American children named Lou, Stephanie, and Suzanne, the latter of whom uh, was adopted at age six, and encouraged temple members to adopt orphans from war-ravaged Korea. Jones was critical of U.S. opposition to North Korean leader Kim Il-sung, mm. calling the Korean War a war of liberation, and stating that South Korea is a living example of all that socialism in the North has overcome. In June 1959, Jones and his wife had their only biological child, naming him Stephen Gandhi. In 1961, they became the first white couple in, India, in Indiana to adopt a black child, naming him Jin Jones Jr., they also adopted a white son, originally named Timothy Glenn Tupper, whose birth mother was a member of the temple.
0: Well, they got like seven kids now?
1: Nine. Jesus. Uh, Jones traveled with his family to, I don't really know how to pronounce it, Belo Horizonte, Brazil. Okay. Belo, uh, Bayo. it's an L sound, so Bayo. With the idea of setting up a new temple location after preaching at the temple about the fears of nuclear war. And reading an article in the january nineteen sixty two issue of Esquire Magazine, which listed the city as a safe harbor in the event of an atomic exchange. Hmm. On his way to Brazil, Jones made his first trip to um, Ghana, Guyana. Guyana, which at the time was still a British colony. Jones' family rented a modest three-bedroom house, um and Jones studied the local economy and receptiveness of racial minorities to his message, although language remained a barrier. He also explored local Brazilian, um, Syncretistic religions? Oh, uh, just different uh, religions in Brazil. Mm -hmm. Uh, Careful not to uh, portray himself as a communist in a foreign territory, he spoke of an apostolistic communal lifestyle rather than of Castro or Marx. Ultimately, the lack of resources led the family to move to Rio de Janeiro in mid-1963, where they worked with the poor. Uh, Jones became plagued by guilt for effectively abandoning the civil rights struggle in Indiana and possibly losing what he had tried to build there. His associate preachers in Indiana told him the temple was about to collapse without him, so he returned. He returned from Brazil in December of 1963 and told his Indiana congregation that he, the world would be engulfed by nuclear war on July 15, 1967, oh leading to a new socialist Eden on Earth and that the temple had to move to North, Northern California for safety. Accordingly, the temple began moving to Redwood Valley, California, near the city of Ukiah? <laughs> According to religious studies, Professor Catherine Wessinger, Jones always spoke of the, so- the social gospel's virtues, but chose to conceal that his gospel was actually communism until the late 1960s. By that time, he began partially revealing the details of his uh, socialism. Apost- apost- apostolistic? Apost- apostolic. Apostolic.
0: Epis- apostolic.
1: Apostolic. Thank you. Socialism. Mm-hmm. Concept in temple sermons. Jones also taught that those who remain drug with the opiate of religion had to be brought to enlightenment, i.e. socialism. Mm-hmm. He often mixed these ideas once preaching. Here's a quote from him. If you're born in capitalist America, racist America, fascist America, then you're born in sin. But if you're born in socialism, you're not born in sin. By the early 1970s, Jones began deriding Christianity as a flyaway religion, rejecting the Bible as being a tool to oppress women and non-whites, and denouncing a sky god who was no god at all. Sky god. Sky god. Spaghetti monster. He wrote a booklet titled The Letter Killeth, criticizing the criticizing the King James Bible. Jones also began preaching that he was the reincarnation of Father Divine Mahatma Gandhi, Jesus um Buddha, and Vladimir Lenin.
0: You can't be the reincarnation of all those people.
1: Former Temple member Hugh Fortson Jr. quoted him as saying, What you need to believe in is what you can see. If you see me as your friend, I'll be your friend. As you see me as your father, I'll be your father. For those of you who don't have a father, if you see me as your savior, I'll be your savior. If you see me as your God, I'll be your God. All right. It's all about perception. Very uh, flexible. I see you as a crazy person. Yep
0: i'll be a crazy person
1: (laughs) see me as a crazy person i'll be a crazy person in a 1976 phone conversation with joe mar um jones alternately said he was an um, agnostic and an atheist Mm -hmm. marceline admitted in a 1977 new york times interview that jones was trying to promote marxism in the u.s by mobilizing people through religion citing mao zedong as his inspiration Um, Jim used religion to try to get some people out of the opiate of religion. He had slammed the Bible on the table yelling, I've got to destroy this paper idol in one sermon. Within five years of moving to California, the temple experienced a period of exponential growth and opened branches in cities, including San Fernando and San Francisco and Los Angeles. By the early 1970s, Jones began shifting his focus to major cities across California because of limited expansion opportunities. He eventually moved the temple's headquarters to San Francisco, which was a major center, uh, center for radical protest movements. Jones and the temple soon became influential in city politics, culminating in the temple's instrumental role in George Moscone's election as mayor in 1975. Jones was able to gain contact with prominent politicians at the local and national level because he was given the position of chairman of the San Francisco Housing Authority Commission. Uh, For example, he and the mayor, George, met privately with vice presidential candidate Walter Mondale on his campaign plane days before the 1976 election, leading Mondale to publicly praise the temple. First Lady Rosalind Carter also met with Jones on multiple occasions, corresponded with him about Cuba, and spoke with him at the grand opening of the San Francisco headquarters, where he received louder applause than she did. Uh. In September 1976, Assemblyman Willie Brown served as Master of Ceremonies at a large testimonial dinner for Jones attended by Governor Jerry Brown and Lieutenant Governor Mervin Dimmel, Dimmel, At the dinner, Brown touted Jones as what you should see every day when you look in the mirror and said he was a combination of Martin Luther King Jr., Angela Davis, Albert Einstein, and Mao Zedong. Okay. Yep. (laughs) Jones hosted local political figures, including Davis, at his San Francisco apartment for discussions. He spoke with publisher Carlton Goodlett of The Sun Reporter newspaper about his remorse over not being able to travel to socialist countries, such as China and the Soviet Union, speculating that he could be chief dairyman of the USSR. Jones's criticism led to increased tensions with the Nation of Islam, so he spoke at a large rally in the Los Angeles Convention Center that was attended by many of his closest political acquaintances, hoping to close the rift between the two groups. Jones also forged alliances with key columnists and others at the San Francisco Chronicle and other press outlets. Although the move to San Francisco also brought increasing media scrutiny, Encountering resistance by his editors to publishing an investigative piece about the temple, Chronicle reporter Marshall Kilduff brought his story to New West magazine. In the summer of 1977, Jones and several hundred uh, and several hundred followers abruptly decided to move the temple's communal settlement to, uh, you said, what was it, Guyana? Guyana. Guyana. Officially called the People's Temple Agri- Agricultural Project, but informally known as Jonestown. Mm-hmm. You don't go into his personal life at all, do you? No. Okay. Not really. I'm just going to go into that really quickly and then I'll be done. Uh, While Jones banned extramarital sex among temple members, he engaged in sexual relations with both male and female temple members outside of his marriage to Marceline. Didn't know that. His first known affair began in 1968 with temple member Carolyn Lighton, who remained with him until the events at Jonestown. Jones was also engaged in a relationship with temple member Maria uh, Katsaris, which began in 1974 and also lasted until um, the events at Jonestown. Jones had many other mistresses during the 1970s, both before the move to Jonestown and after. Hmm. The book, The Road to Jonestown by Jeff Gwynn, states, Jones had occasional sex with male followers, but never as often as he did with women. Gwynn states that Jones was most likely bisexual, but that his main physical and sexual attraction was towards women. Jones, however, claimed that he detested engaging in homosexual um, sexual activity and did so only for the male temple adherents' own good, purportedly to connect them symbolically with himself. <laughs> Jones is on record as later telling his fathers he was uh, the only true heterosexual. On December 13th, 1973, he was arrested and charged with lewd conduct for masturbating in the presence of an undercover LADP, LAPD vice officer oh. in a movie theater restroom near Los Angeles, wild. I
0: thought you were going to say in a movie theater. It's was like, is that some Pee Wee Herman shit? It wasn't a movie theater. You said a restroom.
1: Oh, yeah. but yeah.
0: Pee Wee's in the seats just going at it. Oh, no. So,
1: I didn't know that.
0: Um, <laughs> that's, that's fucked up. I only fucked these guys and probably girls just to, so they could be closer with me and, and my religion and what I...
1: Um, do you towards. touch on his family at all? No. Afterwards? No. After the events? No. N- no. Okay. I don't want to do it, though. Because <laughs> it's got information about the event. Do you want to do it
0: after I do mine?
1: No, that'd be weird. I don't like that. I just won't do the... I, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, but I won't do like a specific person.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs>
1: uh, so his sons, uh, Stefan, Jim Jr., and Tim Jones... Um, survived the events of November 18th, 1978, because being members of the People's Temple's basketball team, they were playing an away game in Georgetown ah. at the time of the incident. Um, Stephen and Stephen, Stephen, yeah, and Tim were both 19, and Jim Jones Jr. was 18.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know anything about his uh, his kids. <clears throat> I think it's Stephen.
1: It's spelled S-T.
0: Yeah, it's just another spelling for Stephen. That's my uncle's name. He spells it... Maybe it's P-H- with an F. S-T-E-P-H-E-N.
1: I was thinking maybe Stefan is with an F.
0: Oh, Stefan? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't... I mean, I didn't know anything about him or his background really at no. all. All I covered was how he related to Jonestown. Uh, but there was some overlap, so I, I did cut a few things um, as you were talking for my section. Um, oh, there were? Yeah, a little bit. I apologize. No, 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 which is good because I have a lot to cover, Um,
1: Do you go over the formation of Jonestown? Yes. Okay, cool. Um,
0: So, but you did mention July 15th, 1967. As Jones said, that was going to be the day that the world ended. Uh, I looked it up. It was a Saturday. And that was Adam Savage's birthday. Adam Savage from Mythbusters was born on July 15th, 1967. Well, that's so that's not the end of the world. So that's a bringing good thing. a
1: beautiful creature into right, the world. Right, exactly.
0: It's a good thing Love that, Adam that the world didn't end. Uh, he's amazing. So I'll get into Jonestown. Again, like I, like I mentioned, I, I did cut some stuff, but there should still be a little bit of overlap here. Um, but the majority of my section is brand new information. So the People's Temple Agricultural Project, better known by its informal name, Jonestown, was a remote settlement in Guyana established by the People's Temple, which is a San Francisco-based cult under the leadership of Jim Jones. Uh, Guyana, if you don't know, is a country on South America's North Atlantic coast. So if you imagine South America, the continent, and I'll show you a map in a second. It's one of the countries at the top, top east of uh, South America. The People's Temple was originally formed in Indianapolis, Indiana in 55 After Jones received uh, considerable criticism in Indiana for his um, integrationist views, which there's a lot of, yeah, bad, weird shit about Jim Jones, but that's, I guess that's a respectable thing is that during this time, it was the mid fifties. He was trying to bring people together um, and wasn't really paying attention to skin color. uh, And a lot of people had problems with that. So he got a lot of criticism. Uh, It was the fifties and sixties and it wasn't Indiana. Uh, The temple moved to Redwood Valley, California in 65, like you mentioned. They would eventually move their headquarters to San Francisco, like you also mentioned. In fall of 73, after critical newspaper articles by Lester Kinsolving and the defection of eight temple members, Jones and temple attorney Tim Stone prepared an immediate action contingency plan for responding to a police or media crackdown. Fun fact, Lester Kinsolving... He was an American political talk radio host. He's best known for being the first White House correspondent to ask questions about the HIV AIDS epidemic during the Reagan administration. He continued to ask questions about the disease, even though the current press secretary and other correspondents made light of it. He first asked questions in 82 and President Reagan would not acknowledge the epidemic until 85, by which time more than 5000 people had died from it. I included that because it it seemed pretty relevant to the whole COVID thing. I thought that was pretty interesting. Is that, you know, a lot of people were trying to say, "Hey, this is an issue," but uh, our our president was not really listening, and a lot of people died. Uh, so the same thing happened uh, with HIV and AIDS. Lester Kinsolving um, wasn't having it. Jones's plan listed various options, including fleeing to Canada or a Caribbean missionary post. For its Caribbean missionary post, the temple quickly chose Guyana. Mm -hmm. In October 73, the directors of the temple passed a resolution to establish an agricultural mission there. In 1974, after traveling to an area of northwestern Guyana with Guyanese officials, Jones and the temple negotiated a lease of over 3,800 acres of land in the jungle located 150 miles west of the Guyanese capital of Georgetown. This is my first photo. Oh, there's Jim Jones.
1: I know what Jim Jones looks like. Thank this you, There's the
0: aviators. And there's the map. So, yeah. Guyana near the top, and then Georgetown was over there. Mm-hmm. That'll be on our website. As 500 members began the construction of Jonestown, the temple encouraged more to relocate to the settlement. Jones saw George- Jonestown as both a socialist paradise and sanctuary for media scrutiny. Jonestown was held up as a benevolent... Com- Communist community, with Jones stating, I believe we're the purest communists there are. I think that's what she said. Jones' wife Marceline described Jonestown as dedicated to live for socialism, total economic and racial and social equality. We are here living communally. Jones wanted to construct a model community and claimed that Burnham, which was the uh, Guyanese prime minister, couldn't rave enough about us, the wonderful things we do, the project, the model of socialism. That was a quote from Jones, Jim Jones. In the summer of 77, Jones and several hundred temple members moved to Jonestown to escape building pressure from San Francisco media investigations. After the mass migration, Jonestown became overcrowded. The population was slightly under 900 at its peak in 1978. Many members of the temple believed that Guyana would be, as Jones promised, a paradise or utopia. However, after Jones arrived, Jonestown life significantly changed. Jones did not permit members to leave Jonestown without his express prior permission. Entertaining movies from Georgetown that the settlers had watched were mostly canceled in favor of Soviet propaganda, shorts, and documentaries on American social problems. Bureaucratic requirements after Jones's arrival sapped labor resources for other needs. Buildings fell into disrepair and weed encroached on fields. Weeds encroached on fields. School study and nighttime lectures for adults turned to Jones' discussions about revolution and enemies, with lessons focusing on Soviet alliances, Jones's crises, and the purported mercenaries sent by Tim Stone, who had defected from the temple and turned against the group. Discussion around current events often took the form of Jones interrogating individual followers about the implications and subtexts of a given news item— or delivering lengthy and often confused monologues on how to read certain events. So to elaborate on that further, Jones would also show political thriller films while he analyzed them. Recordings of commune meetings show how livid and frustrated Jones would get when anyone did not find the films interesting or did not understand the message Jones was placing upon them. No kinds of recorded TV or film, no matter how innocuous or seemingly politically neutral, could be viewed without a temple staffer present to interpret the material for the viewers. So you weren't allowed to have your own opinions on things. Uh, Jim Jones... Would Jim Jones says no would, would tell you how it is how you're supposed to perceive this, and some temple staffers would also be doing the same thing. They would tell you how to interpret what you're watching. Jones's recorded readings of the news were part of the constant broadcasts over Jonestown's tower speakers, such that all members could hear them throughout the day and night. Jones's news readings usually portrayed the U.S. as a capitalist and imperialist villain while casting socialist leaders such as Kim Il-sung, Robert Mugabe, and Joseph Stalin in a positive light. Mm -hmm. Because it stood on poor soil, Jonestown was not self-sufficient and had to import large quantities of commodities such as wheat. Temple members lived in small communal houses, some with walls woven from truly palm. So if you imagine like palm leaves... And eight meals that reportedly consisted of nothing more on uh, some days than rice, beans, greens, and occasionally meat, sauce, and eggs. I have some photos, um, not of meat, sauce, and eggs, but of some of the houses. Those are tiny. In Jonestown.
1: And you said they're communal, too.
0: Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, an aerial, that was the settlement.
1: Where did Jones live?
0: I don't know, probably in one of the bigger places with his wife and many boyfriends and girlfriends. Medical problems such as severe diarrhea and high fevers struck half the community in February 1978. Although Jonestown contained no dedicated prison and had no form of capital punishment, various forms of punishment were used against members considered to have serious disciplinary problems. Methods included imprisonment, in a six-by-four-by-three-foot plywood box and forcing children to spend a night at the bottom of a well, sometimes upside down. This torture hole, along with beatings, became the subject of rumor among local Guyanese. For some members who attempted to escape, drugs such as Thorazine, sodium pentothal, chloral hydrate, demerol, and Valium were administered in an extended care unit. Wow. Yep, they were getting extended care.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's very extended. Very invasive, too.
0: Very care. <laughs> Armed guards patrolled the area day and night to enforce Jonestown's rules. Children were generally sur- surrendered to communal care, and at times were only allowed to see their biological parents briefly at night. Jones was called father or dad Ooh. by both adults and children. Dad? The community also had a nursery in which 33 infants were born.
1: He's going to go grab an infant. Infants?
0: Yep. African Americans made up approximately 70% of Jonestown's population. 45% of Jonestown residents were black women. Oh, wow. Um, Interesting. I have a chart. So this chart shows um, 999 people, Mm -hmm. 691 of them were black, 246 were white, 39 mixed, 23 other. Interesting. Um, And then the separation between male and female. So yeah, 460 of them were black females, so that's... That's a good chunk. It's about half. Jones made frequent addresses to Temple members regarding Jonestown's safety, including statements that the CIA and other intelligence agencies were conspiring with capitalist pigs to destroy the settlement and harm its inhabitants. Mm. After work, when fake emergencies arose, the Temple sometimes conducted what Jones referred to as white knights. During such events, Jones would sometimes give the Jonestown members four options. Attempt to flee to the Soviet Union. Commit revolutionary suicide. Stay in Jonestown and fight the purported attackers, or flee into the jungle. So you'd make up these emergencies saying Jonestown is under attack. Sometimes gave people these four options. On at least two occasions during White Nights, after a revolutionary suicide vote was reached, a simulated mass suicide was rehearsed. Temple defector Deborah Layton described the event in an affidavit. It's a quote. Mm-hmm. Everyone, including the children, was told to line up. As we passed through the line, we were given a small glass of red liquid to drink. We were told that the liquid contained poison and that we would die within 45 minutes. We all did as we were told. When the time came when we should have dropped dead, Reverend Jones explained that the poison was not real and that we had just been through a loyalty test. He warned us that the time was not far off when it would become necessary for us to die by our own hands.
1: Oof. I just got chills. That's dark.
0: Yep. Jesus. Meanwhile, in late 1977 and early 1978, Tim and Grace Stone, remember, Tim was the one who defected, mm-hmm. participated in meetings with other relatives of Jonestown residents. Together, they called themselves the Concerned Relatives. <laughs> Tim Stone engaged in letter writing campaigns to the U.S. Secretary of State and the Guyanese government and traveled to Washington, D.C. to attempt to begin an investigation. An investigation. Meanwhile, Jones responded to this growing case against him and the town by hiring legal aides Mark Lane and Donald Freed, both of whom were Kennedy assassination conspiracy theorists. Oh, dear Lord. To help turn this into a grand conspiracy fueled by U.S. intelligence agencies against the Temple. So he's trying to make it look like the CIA was against him, you know. Uh, Jones' health significantly declined in Jonestown. In 1978, Jones was informed of a possible lung lung infection, upon which he announced to his followers that he, in fact, had lung cancer, a ploy to foster sympathy and strengthen support within the community. Jones was said to be abusing injectable valium, quaaludes, stimulants, quaaludes, stimulants, and barbiturates. Barbiturates. Jones often mentioned chronic insomnia. He would often say he went three or four days without any rest. Leo Ryan, his name's important, he represented California's 11th Congressional District, announced he would visit Jonestown. So he's a congressman.
1: Okay.
0: Ryan was friends with the father of Bob Houston, a temple member in California whose mutilated body was found near train tracks on October 5, 1976, Three days after a taped telephone conversation with Houston's ex-wife, in which leaving the temple was discussed. So, he had a conversation with his ex, talking about leaving the temple. Three days later, his mutilated body was found near train tracks. Damn. And this is what sparked Leo Ryan's interest. Over the following months, Ryan's interest further arou- was further aroused by the allegations put forth by Stone, Layton, and the concerned relatives. On November 14th, he flew to Jonestown along with a delegation. He flew with, like, I don't know, like 10 or 11 people. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of different names. They said who all these people were, but I thought it would get con- too confusing if I listed all of them. So he traveled there with a big group. When they arrived in Guyana, Mark Lane and another member initially refused to allow them access to Jonestown. Only Ryan and three others were initially accepted into Jonestown, while the rest of Ryan's group was allowed in after sunset. That night, they attended a musical reception in the settlement's main pavilion. While the party was received warmly, Jones said he felt like a dying man and ranted about government conspiracies and martyrdom as he decried attacks by the press and his enemies. It was later reported and verified by audio tapes recovered by investigators that Jones had run rehearsals on how to convince Ryan's delegation that everyone was happy and in good spirits.
1: What would be a rehearsal for that? I don't know like everybody all right everybody pretend to smile pretend to be happy show me show me your best i'm not being held captive face
0: yeah we're gonna have people who come in here and i don't know he was a very very good convincer
1: charismatic
0: two temple members vernon gosney and monica bagby made the first move for defection that night They wanted out Mm -hmm. in the pavilion, Gosney mistook one of Ryan's delegation members for Ryan himself and passed him a note reading, Dear Congressman Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagby, please help us get out of Jonestown. A child nearby witnessed Gosney's act and verbally alerted another Temple member. The delegation member brought the notes to Ryan and his legal advisor, Jackie Spire according to Spire, in 2006, reading the notes caused her and the congressman to realize that, quote, something was very, very wrong. Mm -hmm. On November 18th, 1978, at around 1600 hours, around 4 p.m., 5 p.m., from what I gathered, Ryan and the delegation he arrived with tried to leave with some members of Jonestown that were hoping to defect. Mm -hmm. These members were actually given permission by Jones to leave. Before, the truck was to leave with the party to... Uh, the Port Kaituma airstrip, where they would fly out, mm-hmm. Temple loyalist Larry Layton demanded to join the group. Several defectors voiced their suspicions about Larry Layton's motives. Mm-hmm. Ryan and the rest of the group left on a truck towards the airstrip to fly back. The party began boarding the first plane where Layton was one of the passengers. After the Cessna had taxied to the far end of the airstrip, Layton produced a handgun and started shooting at the passengers. He wounded two and tried to kill another before he was disarmed and the gun misfired. Meanwhile, there was another party on another truck headed towards another plane, getting ready to leave. When the truck was about 30 feet of the aircraft, about the same time the shooting occurred in the Cessna, members of the Temple Red Brigade, Temple's Red Brigade, which was their security team, Mm -hmm. opened fire with shotguns, handguns, and rifles while at least two shooters circled the plane on foot. There were reported to be up to nine shooters. The first few seconds of this was captured on video by an NBC cameraman who was killed at the scene along with four others, including Congressman Leo Ryan. Nine others were injured as a result of the gunfire. All in all, five died and 11 injured. After the shootings, the Cessna's pilot, the pilot and co-pilot of the other airplane, and one injured party fled in the Cessna to Georgetown. The damaged second plane and injured Ryan delegation members were left behind on the airstrip. I have this video.
1: Oh, that's depressing.
0: Uh, The majority of this video, really the first three minutes of this video, is just showing the parties getting ready to leave Mm -hmm. for Jonestown. Um, They've got luggage and suitcases and things like that. Uh, They're headed towards the airplane's. And I was watching this, um, right around here, notice on the right side, there's a guy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's got a giant-ass rifle. I see that.
1: <laughs>
0: now, I don't know if he was involved in any of this, but um, that struck me a little odd. But nothing happens in this video until about three minutes in, so I'll try to skip ahead a little bit. You don't see anyone die, um, but you do see the first few seconds of the shooting, mm-hmm. like article was talking about there's the wagon they jump out and that's where the video cuts out oh that's wild so literally just the first few seconds of that was caught on video after ryan's departure from jonestown so this is kind of going back in time a little bit we talked about the shooting and ryan's dead at this point um but immediately after ryan's departure so when the group of them left to go to the airfield hmm uh, Marceline Jones made a broadcast on the public address system stating that everything was all right and asking residents to return to their homes. During this time, aides prepared a large metal tub with grape flavor aid. Fun fact, uh, it's made by the gel cert company J E L S C R T. They're in West Chicago. Like oh, sure. neighbors right over here. <laughs> uh, so metal tub with grape flavor aid poisoned with diphenhydramine, Promethazine, chlorpromazine, mm-hmm. chloroquine, chloral hydrate, valium, and cyanide. Mm. About 30 minutes after Marceline Jones's announcement, Jim Jones made his own, calling all members immediately to the pavilion. A 44-minute tape known as the Death Tape records part of the meeting Jones called inside the pavilion in the early evening of November 18, 1978. When the assembly gathered referring to the Ryan's, Ryan delegation's air travel back to Georgetown, Jones told the gathering, quote, one of those people on that plane is going to shoot the pilot. I know that. I didn't plan it, but I know it's going to happen. They're going to shoot that pilot, and down comes the plane into the jungle, and we had better not have any of our children left when it's over, because they'll parachute in here on us. On the tape, Jones urged temple members to commit revolutionary suicide. Such an act had been planned by the temple before, and according to Jonestown defectors, its theory was, quote, you can go down in history saying you chose your own way to go, and it is your commitment to refuse capitalism and in support of socialism. According to escaped temple member Odell Rhodes, the first to take the poison were Ruletta Paul and her one-year-old infant. It's going to get really dark. Very good. A syringe without a needle fitted was used to squirt poison into the infant's mouth, after which Paul squirted another syringe into her own mouth. Stanley Clayton, who witnessed mothers with their babies, first approached the tub containing the poison. Clayton said that Jones approached people to encourage them to drink the poison, and that after adults saw the poison begin to take effect, they showed a reluctance to die. The poison caused death within five minutes for children, less for babies, and an estimated 20 to 30 minutes for adults. After consuming the poison, according to Rhodes, people were then escorted away down a wooden walkway leading outside the pavilion. It is not clear if some initially thought the exercise was another white night rehearsal. Mm -hmm. In response to reactions of seeing the poison take effect on others, Jones uh, counseled, Die with a degree of dignity. Lay down your life with dignity. Don't lay down with tears and agony. He also said, I tell you, I don't care how many screams you hear. I don't care how many anguished cries. Death is a million times preferable to ten more days of this life. If you knew what was ahead of you, if you knew what was ahead of you, you'd be glad to be stepping over tonight. Rhodes described a scene of both hysteria and confusion as parents watched their children die from the poison. He also stated that most present quick quietly waited their own turn to die, and that many of the assembled temple members walked around like they were in a trance. This crowd was surrounded by armed guards, offering members the basic dilemma of death by poison or death by a guard's hand. Cries and screams of children and adults were easily heard on the tape recording made. As more temple members died, eventually the guards themselves were called in to die by poison. I listened to this uh, 44-minute tape, and it was pretty crazy. Uh, He sounded like a radical pastor, which is essentially what he was. That's what he was. Um, And you can hear during his speech uh, all the members around him cheering, and in full support of him, there are other people who come up and talk on, I think, another microphone or into a microphone who are voicing their own opinions about things. Um, and the group was very, very heated. Uh, but as the tape got into like the 20, 30 minute range, mm-hmm. uh, all of what I read is true. It was pretty crazy to listen to. Things quieted down after a while. Uh, and it was very eerie to know that you're listening to about 900 people's last minutes. I think the hardest thing was the children, because you can hear cries in the background. Um, and then the whole time Jones is just trying to console people. It's like, this is okay. This is what you should be doing. It was just very depressing. Uh, you can listen to the whole thing. Uh, we'll put a link on, a, on the website. If, you're, if you care to listen to it, it is interesting to listen to. It's also available on Wikipedia, the whole 44-minute recording. Mm. Um, Jones was found dead lying next to his chair in the pavilion between two other bodies, his head cushioned by a pillow. His death was caused by a gunshot wound to his left temple that Guyanese chief medical examiner Leslie Mutu stated was consistent with being self-inflicted. So he didn't even fucking drink his own shit. He took the easy way out and shot himself in the head. Mm-hmm. In total, 909 individuals died in Jonestown, all but two from apparent poisoning. Five more died at the airstrip shooting, and four other Temple members committed murder-suicide in Georgetown at Jones' command, totaling 918 deaths. Terms used to describe the deaths in Jonestown and Georgetown evolved over time. Many contemporary media accounts after the events called the deaths a mass suicide In contrast, most sources today refer to the deaths deaths with terms such as mass murder-suicide, a massacre, or simply mass murder. The events at Jonestown constituted the greatest single loss of American civilian life in a deliberate act until the incidents of September 11th, 2001. Hmm. Uh, And there's still a lot of information regarding the aftermath, uh, including survivors' accounts and eyewitnesses, medical examinations, notes from deceased residents... And others that I did not include. Um, there's a lot of information on Jonestown. There's a lot that came out after the whole incident. Uh, it's extremely interesting, but I didn't want to make this section into a whole hour thing. Uh, so if you're interested, you can read, read up on that. Um, there's many survivor accounts, eyewitnesses, notes that uh, residents left. It's pretty crazy. But that's my section.
1: That was wild and very upsetting.
0: Yeah. Uh I mean, I I knew we would be with this podcast covering some dark shit. Um but this might be one of the darkest that we've done so far. I mean, I'm prepared pre- prepared to cover other stuff in the future, but and it's not all going to be happy. Um uh, we talked about starvation a couple episodes ago, so um it's pretty wild that uh a single man was able to convince well, all these people to do what they did.
1: That's not uncommon.
0: No. That's why I'm atheist. <laughs> and I don't go to church.
1: <laughs> well, I mean.
0: Not religious. I'm not comparing <laughs> to today's no, churches and I'm religion you are. to this, but. What
1: I'm saying is, you know, the people that he was inspired by Adolf Hitler, Mao Zedong, oh yeah, sure, Karl sure, Marx, sure. all known for being good speakers.
0: Yeah. He uh I mean he surrounded his life was revolved around all this stuff mm-hmm. as he was growing up. So it's no no surprise that he himself he was became a
1: good manipulator.
0: Yep. Hundred percent.
1: Good at manipulation.
0: It's uh it's fucking crazy. You could see photos of this too if you if you want to look it up, uh, photos of Jonestown.
1: Yeah.
0: Um a lot of it is aerial stuff, mm-hmm. so you don't get to see like, you know, up close and personal, which is good.
1: Yeah, I've seen a few of the pictures.
0: But it's just it's colorful because it's people's clothing yep. and it's they're all it's r- insane there was a photo i saw of the table that had cups half full of the uh the flavor aid that was used with uh syringes all over the table it's chilling mm-hmm. um and very upsetting and depressing and unfortunate but uh does
1: Jonestown still stand i, I believe
0: i believe there's i'm not 100 percent sure on this i was trying to look on google maps and there's no satellite, high-definition satellite view of anything. I don't know if there's, like, a, a memorial that's constructed there. Um, I know there's a there's a map marker. Mm-hmm. If you go on Google Maps and look at the coordinates of where it was, there's a marker that, that was placed there that says, you know, people's uh, whatever, Jonestown. Uh, but I don't know the status of the land. I don't know if it's been converted into a memorial or what. I would assume you could still go visit it. Much like uh, Auschwitz.
1: Yeah, there's a section of it on the Wikipedia of where it's at now.
0: Okay. Yeah, see, a lot of, a lot of the aftermath stuff I didn't go into. So feel free, if you're listening, check it out yourself. But um, I just wanted to go over the main events. And then, again, like I said at the top, a lot of stuff that I had no idea happened before that. So, And a lot of stuff that, about Jim Jones that I didn't know either. So Yeah. Very cool.
1: What did you think of the beer? <laughs>
0: what? I, I, I put it number one. Oh, you did! Um, I did. Oh wow! Yep, it's. Uh, I like it better than the key lime sour, which was my number two. Um, I think it's. Uh, it's very interesting. It's not. Um, I mean, when I think of beer, I don't think of this, you know. But sour beer is is cool. We had the conversation with Jack last week. Uh, how he really likes sour beer. He's been trying a lot of a lot of new ones, um, and it's really interesting to to see what kind of flavors can come out of a beer. And it doesn't taste anything like a traditional beer would. A lot of people out there say they don't like beer. They don't drink beer. That Maybe they like sour beers because they just taste so radically different. So I like this because uh, the fruit flavors were very upfront, And actually, like I said, it didn't even taste like beer. It uh, just tasted like fruit, fermenty fruit, almost like a Cosmo with beer. So
1: hmm.
0: I'm sorry it had strawberries <laughs> in
1: it. I couldn't really drink it yeah. because of the strawberries. I'm allergic. Yeah. Um... And I just don't like strawberries. I find the taste unpleasant. Hmm. You go, you know, so many years in life being told not to eat something. You Sure. You develop a dislike for it. Yep. The smell, everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, from the sips that I took, I was not blown away. It mm-hmm. was very bland to me. Mm. Um, while I did get the hints of flavor for the different fruits, mm-hmm. it was just not enough for me to be like, "Okay." Sure. This is good.
0: Yep. I think um we've disagreed the most about this beer than any other beer we've had on the show. I Which think is so. interesting.
1: And now I feel itchy. <laughs> Shut up.
0: <sighs> well, we got one more beer to try.
1: Better not have strawberries in it. It doesn't. I'll fuck you up.
0: It's uh I think you might you might
1: like it. Okay. um mm mm-hmm.
0: Mhm. You can send us emails if you want to. Uh, we're available on every popular podcast platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you can find podcasts. Just search up Beer and Fear, even on Google. Look up Beer and Fear podcast on Google. We're we're rising up the ranks. We're one of the top searches now on Google if you want to look up our podcast there. And uh, you can stay up to date with our uh, episodes that get released every Wednesday at noon, Central Time, by following us, liking us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit, we post our episode updates as well as other pictures and plants etc etc but that's about it that's uh episode 39 we got episode number 40 coming at you next week and a recording a bonus episode uh right now so look forward to that as well Have a good day. you've been ending them all in a whisper <laughs> have a good day